I mentioned the book that I have been reading at the moment. It's called Way Long Tales of My Outlaw Dad. I'm delighted to say we're joined now by the author, his son, Terry Jennings. Terry, how are you tonight? I'm doing fine. How are you doing, Tom? Very well, indeed. Um, reading the story of y- your dad's life, um, he had an absolutely amazing life, hadn't he? It was a wild time. <laughs> it really is wild, um, in a way that um, stopped me in my tracks. I think we kind of read stories about bands like Guns N' Roses and we expect madness. <laughs> For whatever reason, we don't quite expect that in, in country music, but it's it puts Guns N' Roses to shame, really. I'll tell you, uh, the guy that did my forward, Ken Mansfield, I am truly blessed to have him. And he was saying, he worked with the Beatles, the Beach Boys, and a bunch of people before he worked with Dad. And he said, uh, Dad and them made uh, the Beach Boys and the Beatles look like choir boys. <laughs> he made them look like choir boys, and he invited you into the into the middle of the mayhem when you were only 19. Uh, yeah, I started when I was 15 and went for about 16 years. So, yeah, I went right through it with him. <laughs> Um, when I was reading things that were striking, you kind of you, you tell the tale really from from a child's perspective at, at times, and at, at times it comes across as just like he's absent a lot, isn't he? Well, in the early days he was. Uh, he did try to book shows. Well, he did book shows two or three times a year around Texas or wherever we were staying, so that we could still see him. But uh, you know, it's just like now. I mean, he was just out on a bus doing his job. Is what we looked at today. Right. Um, but a lot was I was kind of you know reading your book and then reading about him as well. Sometimes when he would have been absent, he would have been off in L.A. trying to do stuff at Herb Albert. I think he worked it at one point, um, trying to trying to get on, I suppose. But it left you and your your siblings kind of isolated a bit, didn't it? Well, I don't know if you could say isolated. I mean, I for my myself, I just thought it was natural because you know that's the way things were. And, you know, he came around a lot, called a lot, you know, and uh, it's just like anybody else that has a father that does something out on the road that's not singing. You know, you don't get to see him, but you don't love him any less. Right. When did you start to realize that your dad wasn't quite like other dads and your dad was kind of basically famous? Well, I should have learned it earlier, but I guess it would be when I was about 10 when I went and saw Nashville Rebel. And, you know, to see your dad on the movie screen was pretty nice. And I said, well, that's something special. Because I'd always been into, you know, television, movie stars, things like that. You know, singers really, you know, I liked them. But I, they were just regular Joes as far as I was concerned. Right. Um, so what did you think he'd been doing before this? Uh, excuse me? What did you think he'd been doing before this? When he, when uh, he... Well, he had always sang, so I knew oh. what he was doing. Okay. You know, I mean, since the day I was born, it was music in the house. You just didn't realize how many people were listening to him. <laughs> yeah, I did not realize that, uh, and I really don't think he realized at the time that it would have got as big as it does. And to, for him to be as relevant or past his death is, is really strange. Right. Um, some things that really struck me was he seemed to do very well, um, almost everything he did. I mean, he was a DJ when he was only 19, and he was quite a successful DJ as well, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Uh, that's where he developed his quick wit. I mean, that man could come back on you really fast when you said something, and he was funny too. But if anything he did, he went full bore into. 
So, I mean, when you do something like that, you're going to be successful or get left on the wayside. Another story that really struck me too was the Buddy Holly story. He basically became friendly with Buddy from Buddy coming into the the, the, um, radio station that he worked at. And then Buddy just took a shine to him and and really invited him to join them on the road. Uh, Yes. Uh, You know, him and Buddy were really, really good friends when they were really, really young. And, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, uh, Buddy Holly's plan was to start his own record label, and the first person he was going to sign was Dad. Wow. You know, and then he took him out on the road, and, you know, and that's when the day the music died. Yeah. You know, but they were all just kids. Dad kind of held on to that for a while, a good 20 years anyway. Really? He was supposed to be on that flight, wasn't he? Uh, yes, it was supposed to be Dad. Uh, Tommy Ossip and Buddy. And then uh, Tommy Ossip flipped a coin with uh, Richie Ballin. And then uh, Big Bopper had the flu. And he was a really big guy. So Dad said, man, you can't be, you know, these buses just had regular seats in them. And he said, that's not good for you. So if it's all right with Buddy, it's all right with me. You take my flight. And then after the show, they were sitting back there eating a couple of hot dogs and sitting in their chairs. And Buddy said, uh, well, I hear you're scared of flying. He goes, I ain't afraid of nothing. He goes, well, you gave your seat up. And he goes, well, that don't mean I'm afraid of it. And then Buddy goes, well, I hope your bus freezes. And Dad goes, well, I hope your plane crashes. And man, when that happened, he took it to heart that he had caused that. And then a DJ at a competing station there in Lubbock, uh, High Pocket Duncan, called him up and said, you know, you're not doing anybody any good by blaming yourself for this. You're not God. You didn't make that plane fall out of the air. And that's what got Dad to pick his guitar back up and go and pursue it again. Right, because he'd given it up. He was so um, depressed, really, after that. My God. Well, uh, yeah, yes and no. I mean, depressed is a, is a heavy word to me. Uh, I just say that he... Because he, he bottled it in for 20 years. he didn't. Yeah. You did not talk about it. And everybody knew you didn't bring it up. And then some 20 years later, uh, he decided, well, it's time to, you know, put the past behind him. So he did. Right. And one one of the first people he talked to that was you, wasn't it? Did what, sir? One of the first people he talked to about it was you. One of them, yes. Uh, we were in the house there in Nashville, and he called me back there and, I was on the road with him, and we had the crickets out, and they'd just given him Buddy's motorcycle for, uh, you know, that sat in a used store for 20 years. And he decided, you know, uh, when I go back out, I'm going to start talking about it. So that's the first time he had ever told me exactly what went down, and it shocked me, I'll tell you. Right. Um, it kind of speaks a lot about what he felt about you, though, wasn't it? It was kind of... By, by, you, there was such a small age difference between the two, you're 19 years, wasn't it? Um, yeah. It kind of transcended the father-son relationship in ways, didn't it? Yeah, like I like to say, you know, we had to wear a lot of hats. We had our father-son hat. We had our boss-employee hat. We had our just about like brother's hat. And we learned real quick which hats to wear when. Right. Because if you don't, it can cause quite a bit of commotion. That world he brought you into at 19, what did you make of it? Uh, it was wild, I'll tell you that. Uh, when he brought me in, my main concern, 
concern was doing whatever I could to help Dad get along, just like everybody else, you know. you got to realize, at one time, there was 40 people on the road. Wow. Any of those people could be replaced, except for one. And if you lost Dad, everything fell apart. So that was everybody's concern, was making sure that, you know, Dad was able to do what he needed to do to keep the whole train rolling. Right. Um, it's put you in a situation, though, and you talk about it in the book, of being in hotel rooms with them and getting, you know, drugs for them and stuff. Not the kind of things you'd normally have in a father-son relationship. Well, yeah, this was the 70s and it was kind of different. Now, when you say getting drugs for him, the only thing I ever did is, you know, he may have, he, may, he had a girl up in his room. Yeah in different towns, and he'd call me up and say, hey, you know, do you have a joint? Right. And uh, I'd say, well, yeah, and he goes, but I said, you don't smoke. And he goes, yeah, but this girl up here does. Okay. So I'd roll up a couple and put them in a magazine, just shove them through the door to him, and that was the extent of me getting them to him. Okay, know? right, that's not, not as bad as it sounds. <laughs> I think the girl might be the bigger issue in that picture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Girls liked him a lot. He liked them, too. Yeah, um, I, he would have had to have been a saint, I think, because uh, th- it, was, it was the era of throwing knickers on the stage, wasn't it? Uh, I didn't hear that. It was the era of throwing knickers on the stage. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And uh, uh, he enjoyed it. And all the guys in the band and crew enjoyed it, too. Right. Did, they put, did that put you in a slightly awkward situation? Because y- you would have known his wife at the time. Uh, yes, and... Uh, you say awkward. Yes. You know, I mean, I, I was on the road with Dad. I was there to do for Dad, you know, and and it just seemed natural to me. So uh, I didn't mean to disrespect anybody or anything, but pretty much Dad ran the show, so you pretty much did what he said. Right. So there was a very clear written, unwritten, um, what goes on the road stays on the road kind of rule. <laughs> Like Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing ever changes. Um, the musical side of, of his journey I found fascinating as well. I hadn't really understood the outlaw tag until I, I read your book. The, the, the outlaw tag was really applied to a style of music where people weren't playing the game of recording country music in the way, you know, your dad found it boring or dated really, wasn't it? Yeah, well, you see what was going on is they had what they called the Nashville sound. And you could take just about any artist and plug it in there, and they would cut a record in three hours. And it would work for them. So that's great for the people that work for it. It just didn't work for Dad. Now, as far as the whole outlaw thing, Hazel Smith, who was the office manager at Hillbilly Central for Tom Paul, she's the one that first said, y'all are a bunch of outlaws. And Dad loved Hazel, so he just, he, you know, wore that with honor. And then eventually, once he got busted, that outlaw bit then got out of hand. Right. And I always say they should have called it the survival movement, because that's all he's trying to do is survive. Yeah. Um, they, when you put them together, though, when, they, when you start getting your dad and, and Willie Nelson and Johnny Cash and Chris Christopherson together, they do come across as a bunch of outlaws, in fairness. That's the Mount Rushmore of country music it right is. there. It really is. What was it like for you to see your dad uh, performing these kind of gigs and, and playing with those kind of legends? It was magical. I mean, uh, when they were on with 
most of the time. I mean, he would come out there and start with a real rocking song and get the audience up, and he'd do a couple of those, and then he'd go into a ballad and set them down. It's like he had them on strings, man. He could pick them up, set them down, move them to the left, move them to the right. It was magical. Did, did it ever get difficult for you? Um, you know, as he became so successful and so popular? Well, as the success grew, I won't say it got difficult, more difficult. It's just you had uh, more things to deal with, let's put it that way. You know, but in any business, you're going to have difficult times and good times, you know, and easy times. Right. So, uh, but no matter what, the next show's got to go. So you get up, pack it up, and go on down the road. Because you were you were in it so young, so early, did it, it? It must have struck you as normal. I mean, it, it struck you as normal that Johnny Cash was almost your family photographer at one point, taking photographs of you, and that your dad was friends with Muhammad Ali. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it was natural. I find myself when I'm out in public talking to people, and I'll go John, or or I'll go uh, Hank, or and they go, "Who are you talking about?" And I go, "Oh, I'm sorry," and I have to give the whole name. <laughs> you know, and it's like because it was natural. Just they were people that were around all the time. Right, Jim, Chris. I mean, you just name it. They come through the house or through the shows and back and forth. So it was just like old homework. They were like family. Right. Uh, another thing that comes across very strongly is um, the warmth of your dad. He was he was a devoted father, really, wasn't he? Yes, he was. I mean, he was a good father. He loved his children, and. That's what I got to say about his music is everything he did was to make things better for his family. So, you know, any sacrifices he made or we made were all for the common good. And I say the ends justify the means. Right. Um, an incredible life. An incredible life. Um, why did you wait so long to write the book? It seems you waited a long time. Well, I worked on this book for a good 10 years. And I tell you what, I finally just set it aside in a computer and I said, God, you know, if you want me to have a book, fine. And I was truly blessed because within four to six months, I went from having a book I wanted out to having a book deal with one of the biggest publishers in the world, Hachette Books. And it's just incredible to have Dave Thomas write with me and have Willie Nelson, Dolly Parton, Keith Urban endorse it, Ken Mansfield do the board. It was just one blessing after another. And what was wild is my agent told me, he goes, now we're going to send this proposal out. Now be patient. It could take a year or two before anybody looks at it. It was three or four months later we had people asking for it. Wow. Uh, I'm not. When God gets in your corner, it's never going to go far wrong, is it? I like him in my corner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep him there, too. <laughs> um, Terry, it's been a pleasure talking to you. The story is great, and uh, your dad's music will live forever. So thanks thanks I very much. I appreciate that. i tell you what, and y'all have a Merry Christmas out there and a Happy New Year. And like Dad used to say, every household needs two of these. <laughs> Terry, pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much for joining us. The book's called Waylon, Tales of My Outlaw Dad.